It really is a joy to be able to um, preach this morning, encourage you hopefully. And um, as you know, for those of you that were here last week, I preached out of Psalm 67, which talked about us being a blessing and praying for God's blessing on our lives, not in a selfish way, so that we can share that with other people, that all the world will come to know Him, that all, all the world will be blessed through God's people. So we looked at uh, Abraham as the forefather, the first Christian, and we looked at the people of Israel, and the same promise was given to Abraham and the people of Israel, and the same promise is given to us as God's people, that we should be praying for blessing in our lives, to give it away, and share it with others so that all the world could, all the world could know that God is who He says He is and can be blessed through our lives. Amen? And so that's, that's what I did last week. And if you weren't here, please uh, catch up online and um, I hope it will encourage you. And so each year, that as we start the year um, and we try and set the tone for, for the year, I like to kind of just underline some things that we know and uh, that have been a foundation of this church. And today, today I want to look at the whole area of generosity and giving as we anticipate the new year, the new ministry year, and as we go forward uh, with the new school year. And really, generous giving is one of the ways that we share God's blessing that He's given with us, uh, with others, and with the King for His kingdom. And I just wanted, you know, I don't know if you've been watching the news this week, but um, with a new mini budget that came out, there's been all these reactions in people about. Is this a good thing? Can this possibly work? And there's a whole lot of up and down kind of emotion around the budget and what we're going to do and how it's going to be and the economy and the war in Iraq and how that's affecting the world economy. And Sorry, Ukraine. So I just want to say as a basis, I, I, I hope that this morning you'll be set free from fear as well, all right? Because there's too much fear in the world and uh, we're called to live free of fear. So my, the, f the first thing that I want to say as we even think about finances this morning and giving is that we are set free in the gospel, all right? You and I, like Derek said, we are set free in the gospel and the explosive power of the gospel message is that who the Son is set free is free indeed. We are free and I want to encourage you as I speak about finances this morning, that includes every area of your life. You are free to live your life in the church, in your prayer life, in worship, in how you serve and how you give and live generously. You are free. All right? Basis this morning. Foundation. You are free in Christ. And we need to keep ourselves free in every area of our lives. And so over the course of this church, the history of this church, We've had some key messages in our church about finances and generosity, one by Artie Kendall, others by Michael Eaton, and uh, they've been crucial in developing a theology in our church of giving and generosity. And I've been in church, involved in church life now for over 30 years, leading a church, and I've heard, I've probably, I've heard the whole spectrum of teaching on finances and giving. And some of it has been very good, and the vast majority of it has been very bad. All right? Very bad, very poor, not biblical, and not helpful. And so I just want to say at the outset this morning, if you've been in a church before that has manipulated you into give, has berated you when you don't give, and has had a 30-minute message before the offering is taken up every week, and it happens week after week after week, I just want to say I am so sorry that the church has treated you like that. It's not what God has for us. It's not biblical. And I believe it grieves his heart when churches behave like that. All right? So right upstairs, if you've been in a church like that, I really hope that this church will be very different for you. And I apologize for, for that, that you would ever have to go through that. But uh, I'd like to build on this foundation of, of freedom and uh, I want to start with a quote that I read uh, recently about in Christianity Today about an article on, on financial giving, on, on why young people and, and in particular um, have changed their view on giving. And it says this, it says, our, our people 45 years and younger have grown up mesmerized by materialism. There's tremendous pressure on families to spend and spend and spend. And then the writer of this article, James Williams, he adds this, I've heard the generation that believed in the tradition of tithing is in three places, in retirement homes, nursing homes, or cemeteries. 
So in other words, most baby boomers, now I'm a baby boomer, so that includes people of my age, 58 and younger. Most people, baby boomers, baby busters, includes most of the people here in this room, have changed their view on why and how they give. And I want to suggest three things this morning that I'm going to look at this morning in a whole lot of different ways. So please be patient with me. There's a massive subject and I've got half an hour, all right? I can't say everything, all right? But I think there are the reasons for that. One is cultural pressure, certainly. Secondly, the second reason I'd say is biblical illiteracy. People really don't know what the Bible says about giving. And they've been told so many conflicting things that it's not helpful. And thirdly, the whole issue of church scandals. Uh, how many of you know that in the church in the last 10 years, there have been numerous scandals of people falling sexually, uh, financial abuse in the church, mostly, unfortunately, for my American friends, mostly in large American churches and other large churches in the places of the world. And then people see all the stuff on TV and they say, every Christian leader is like that. Can't trust these guys. Can't trust churches. All they want is your money. Unhelpful. So unhelpful. And so I'm aware also, I'm going to try and answer some of those, look at some of those three, those three areas. But also I want to recognize that all of us are in different stages of our lives. Um, some of us are older, like me, perhaps a little bit more established. Uh, some of us are starting out, just starting out. Perhaps you've just moved here into St. Albans from another uh, town, place in the, in, in the world. Maybe you've just finished school. Maybe you're starting your uni. Maybe you're young and newly employed in your first job. You might just be planning to get married, starting a home of your own. So all of us are in different stages, and whatever stage of life you're in, you do have to answer this question for yourself. How will you spend your money? How are you going to spend your money, and what are you going to spend your money on? And I also know that when you come into a new church family like this one, one of the hindrances in being generous can possibly be that you don't still yet feel at home in the church community, and you're a little bit reticent to invest your money into the church community. And that's understandable. But my encouragement to you would be, if that's you this morning, is be careful that your caution doesn't become like a drawn-out pattern in your life where you stop giving altogether. God's kingdom is always worthy of being invested in. So my appeal this morning, and I've, I've uh, chosen my words carefully, it is an appeal. My appeal this morning to you is to live generously, to give generously in the way that you release money through your life, out of your hands, to the cause of Christ here at Forest Town Church and, and uh, into the broader mission of the church in the world. So I'm going to start by trying to look at this word tithe because I want to understand what it means. I want to look what it was in the Old Testament. I want to look what it, how it was used under the law. And I want to look if it is even used in the New Testament and how that can help us to frame our understanding of giving in a biblical New Testament way that is liberating and freeing. Absolutely? Okay, so here we go. What does the word tithe mean? Well, it's an odd word, really, because you don't really... Here at outside of the church, except if you're traveling through the Hertfordshire countryside and you stumble upon a tithe barn and you think, well, what is the tithe barn? And you realize that it's part of the history of our country in terms of people brought a tenth of the harvest in and there was a tithe barn. So what does it actually mean? Well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew equivalent of the, of the word tithe is a tenth. And it's found in num numerous passages in the Old Testament. And it really is used primarily to talk about the obligation that Israel had towards the priests in the temple and to support the work of the Levites in the temple. That's the primary use in the Old Testament. It is also used in a context to supply the needs of the people. But primarily it was to do with the temple and the priests, the Levites in the temple and how they were to be supported. Um, it doesn't appear in the New Testament except in three places. Three places in the New Testament. Matthew, 16, uh, Matthew 24 and Luke 16, where Jesus challenges the Pharisees, the religious order of the day, who were putting such stress onto people. In fact, Jesus says to the Pharisees, Woe to you, you hypocrites! You insist that people tithe a tenth on all their herbs and spices, the, the cumin and all the, the and, and yet your heart is far from him. And the deeper issues of the law are justice and mercy and forgiveness, and you've ignored those, and all you talk about is the tenth. Jesus not particularly you know, enamored with tithing. Luke 
16, Matthew 24. Second, the third place where it's found is Hebrews chapter 7, which again, there's a couple of places in the Old Testament which people often reference about tithing, and one of them is when Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. And uh, I'm going to talk about that a little this morning. It's referenced again by the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 7 of Hebrews. But aside from that, tithe is not used in the New Testament. The word is not used in the New Testament. And I think when most Christians hear the word tithe, they assume it's got something to do with giving. But obviously it's particularly talking about a tenth uh, in, in the New Testament. And so my first question is, this morning, can you see I'm smiling? All right is if we are free in every area of our lives, in our worship life, our prayer life, how we have fellowship with each other, Christ has set us free, does that mean that we are obligated to give a tenth of our income? Before I answer that, I want to just say this. I'm going to answer that explicitly, but let me just say this. We, one thing up front, we are not talking about this. We are not talking about whether a Christian who lives under the new covenant by grace and through the kindness of Jesus is responsible to give generously, regularly, joyfully, sacrificially to the work of the kingdom. We're not talking about that. That's a given. If we are born again believers, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, we should want to be generous Givers, financial givers, as a lifestyle, because we love Jesus. That's a given. I'm talking about specifically, are we required to give one-tenth of our income? Does it actually say that? Are we obligated? Well, if someone says, and are you obligated to tithe? I would respond like this. You are certainly responsible and you're commanded, just as you're commanded to love others, to give generously and to give joyfully. But I don't believe, and I, this is my conviction, it's come over 30 years, I do not believe that we are required in an obligate, uh, obligatory way, a uh, legalistic way to give a tenth of our income under the, under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are obligated in the sense it's like a command that Jesus gives to give generously and joyfully. And so technically we're not required to give a tenth that's rooted in the Old Testament and the history of Israel. It's, it's rooted in the law. It's rooted in the, the covenant law. It isn't binding on Christians today. Does that set you free? Okay, good. So then, how do we know how much we should give? <laughs> how do we know? We want to do the right thing, right? Of course we want to do the right thing. So how do we know? Well, let me just, again underpin some things. Let me remind you what the tithe was in the Old Testament. Uh, there are two references, like I've said, that have come prior to the law, which is um, Genesis 14, where Abraham gives a tenth of everything he had to Melchizedek, and Genesis 28, where Jacob promised to give a tithe of all he had to God. Those are the two references that come before the Mosaic law. And so I've heard it argued by preachers, and they say this, surely because it's pre-law, it's before the Mosaic Covenant. Surely we can take reference from that and we can say, well, we should, we, should, we should do the same thing. I mean, Abraham lived by faith and to live by faith, we should live like Abraham. You know, Jacob wanted to give a tenth. Yeah, well, there's just a couple of problems with that uh, if we think, want to um, think like that. How do we know that um, Abraham tithed a tenth of all he had? Um, do we, do we know that he did that as a one-off just because it was, he was commanded to do that by God? We don't know that he did that regularly. Secondly, it could have just been an ancient custom to bless people in that way. We, don't, we can't be sure that it was a regular thing that he did. And secondly, the, the thing with, with Jacob, the broader context is a little bit interesting because Jacob, he made a deal with God. Jacob was a bit of a schemer if you look at Jacob's life. And he made this deal with God. It was a contractual thing he did with God. He said this, God, if you bless me, if you make me rich, if you give me cows and wives and camels, I will then give you a tenth of all that you've blessed me with. Jacob made a deal. I'm not quite sure that's the heart of what God has for us. We don't make deals with God. Oh, if you bless me, I will give. No, no, no. I don't think it works like that in the New Testament. And secondly, 
Let me just say something briefly about that's in terms of the, of, of the Old Testament. But under the covenant, what did the, what, what did the tithe mean? Well, if you have a look and you actually add up under the Mosaic law what Israel was required to give, most scholars would say that it's 22% that they were required to give. 22% to the temple over the course of the whole year. That's a hang of a lot more than 10, isn't it? So do you want to go back under the law? Well, then it's 22% if you want to live like that. So... This is my basic thread of thinking. We're not under the law of Moses anymore. We don't, anyone here recently sacrificed a lamb? Anyone? In any temple anywhere? No? Well, that's good because you're not under the law, all right? Not required to sacrifice lambs. We don't have to be under the civil law of Leviticus either. Either, I mean, you are clean, whether you are wash your hands in a certain way or or you don't. Under the Mosaic law, you had to wash your hands in a certain way. You had to be ceremonially clean. You couldn't touch a dead body or someone who was ill. Uh, we don't live under the law anymore. anymore. Therefore, I want to say again, I don't believe that the Mosaic law concerning tithing is binding on us under the new covenant. So come back to my original question. Well, how do we know then what we should give? I wanted to say this straight up front. Uh, if you are a Christian and you want to tithe, you are absolutely free to do so. Huh? Absolutely free. There's, no, there's nothing compelling you not to give 10%. In fact, when people speak to me and they say, how much, I sh how, how much should I give? Uh, what should I give? Perhaps they're a new believer. I say, well, why don't you aim, uh, start and be generous as much as you can and start aiming at, try and give 10% of your income away. It's a, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Try and start to be generous. But, but start where you can, whether that's 5% or 2% or 10%, whatever it is. As long as you are giving generously, sacrificially, regularly, give. Start the journey. And so we are free to tithe as Christians if we want to. I just don't think we are free to impose that as a rule on every Christian. As if they give anything less, they are somehow less spiritual and it's unbiblical. So are we morally obligated under the new covenant to give at least 10%? The answer is absolutely no. Are we morally and spiritually free to do so? The answer is absolutely yes. Are you with me? Thank you. So all of this then to set the tone and say, well, what does the New Testament teach then about giving? Here, I've got some scriptures for you. Let's start with Jesus. Matthew 23, 23, I've mentioned it already. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law, and you Pharisees, you are hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the former. You should have done all the tithing stuff, without neglecting the, the latter. Yes? It's about justice and mercy and love and kindness. Yeah, you can, you, that's what you must pursue. And along the way, you're generous with your money. That's what Jesus says. Yeah? Secondly, Matthew 6, when he talks about, Jesus talks about us giving to people that are needy in our community. What does he say? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Again, it's about the attitude, isn't it? And he says, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with a trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets. Be sure to be seen that you're being generous. So he says that you'll be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Jesus is again saying it's about the heart. It's about your inner attitude. It's about generosity and living for other people and not wanting fanfare. And, you know, I always like get fascinated by people that give to charities. I gave 150,000 pounds to a charity and then you see someone standing there with their big check, 150,000. And I think, cool, man. I'm glad you gave the money. But man, your reward, that's all you're going to get. It's like some, you know, I cycled 10,000 miles to raise 5,500 pounds. Here I am. That's your reward. You've got, received it already. Better to give in secret. The Father in heaven knows what you're doing. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven. 
not on earth. Talking about the role of elders in the local church, what does Paul say? 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. The worker deserves his wages. Paul's just saying in the church, the guys that are doing the work of the ministry, honor them. Help them to do it. Don't say, well, we're going to pay you so badly that it's a struggle for you. No, I'm going to talk about that a bit later as well. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul says, no, no, be generous. As generous as you can with the money that you have. Then in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says this about the rights of apostles, those that preach and plant churches. He says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? So Paul referencing again the Old Testament, he says, it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about ox that God is concerned? Is he really concerned about cattle? And he answers himself, surely. He's saying this for us, isn't he? Yes, it was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seeds amongst you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? Is it not, not right to have the support from you? Shouldn't we have it all the more? But we didn't use the right. Paul says he didn't insist on it. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hindering the gospel being preached. Paul says, I have a right to receive and I don't insist on it. I want to preach the gospel and I trust along the way. I will be blessed by God. Isn't that amazing? And then I want to land on this in terms of the New Testament. There's two amazing chapters in the New Testament. Please read them for yourselves. This week, 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. There are great chapters on giving in the church about the heart with which we give. And I want to, I want to say up front again as I, as I reference these chapters now, this is not Paul saying providing a standard or providing a principle or guidelines for how we are to give in every situation. He's not doing that. It's an appeal rather from his heart towards the church, towards the, the Corinthians to motivate them, to stimulate them to um, the original promise that they had made concerning the, the help they had made, uh, committed to making to so, some other people, and to follow through on that promise and to be generous in their giving. And so Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. That's where it starts. Giving starts with the grace of the Lord Jesus and he says this, though he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. And what's Paul really, really saying? He's saying this is the primary motivation for you and I to be generous. He's basically saying to us, look, all of your life, your whole life, and your, includes your giving, is rooted in the gospel. Your giving is gonna, must flow out of the heart that's been gripped by the gospel, the reality of what Jesus has done for you on, and, uh, on your behalf. He, he was all glorious, all, all of creation belonged to him. He was all powerful. He laid that aside. He cho chose to come and live a simple life so that you could be free. That's basically what Paul says. And he's saying on that basis, you should live in the same way. Live a simple life that you can give generously to God's kingdom. So all of our giving is rooted in the kingdom. And then Paul, uh, in, in the gospel, and then Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 11 he finishes off that section by saying, now you finish well. In other words, complete the promise that you made to these people to give, to, to give generously. And in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12, he says this, if the willingness is there, in other words, if your heart is ready and joyful and you want to sow and give, if your gift is acceptable according to what the person has, give according to what you have, not according to what you do not have. Isn't that interesting? So it's in proportion to what we have that we give. And we give generously and we give sacrificially. And so I've known over the years uh, in, in various churches, not just in this church, businessmen that are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly generous. And in the last church we were, I was the worship leader in, we had some businessmen in our, in our church who were mega millionaires. And they were the most generous people I have ever met. 10% for them was like insignificant. They gave more than 10%. Why? 
Why? Because they had been blessed with much. And their heart was, okay, God, I want to give, and I'm going to give with what I have. And they gave houses and multiple hundreds of thousands they gave, many times over, out of the wealth that they had been given. It's in proportion to what you have that you give generously. Amen? And so I want to encourage you, perhaps for you, if you are fortunate enough to be in the 1% of our population in the UK that earns 150000 that is going to be rewarded by the new Tory government, if you are fortunate enough to receive 150,000 pounds a year, if you are a multimillionaire, perhaps 10% is too little. Perhaps it is. <laughs> perhaps you can be much more generous than that. That was popular. <laughs> and on the other hand, we've had people in our church over the years that have really struggled financially and it's not because they're irresponsible it's not because they're lazy it's not because they don't work hard it's because they've just simply had some setbacks they haven't been able to generate enough income and that, some of those people have asked me should I still tithe I'm in debt should I still start, tithe my response my response is get out of debt and I want to say this to you if you want to be a regular giver a generous giver debt is not your friend Debt is your enemy. Help, ask people to help you get out of debt. Help, ask for help. I need help with my budget. There are people in this church that can help you. There's the cap guys in St. Paul's that can help you to budget well and start getting out of debt. Because when you're out of debt, then you can start to be generous. I've also seen this. If you're not a good budgeter, I want to encourage you to become a good budgeter. Because <laughs> over the years, 30 years now in church, I've seen this with giving in the church. Those that are good budgeters have money to give because they know what's coming in their account and they know what's going out of their account. If you don't know what's coming in your account and what's going out of your account, it's not a good place. Get help, all right, so that you can begin to live generously. All right, that, should be, that's, that is encouraging, isn't it? That's, don't, don't, you know, give what you can and start on the journey so that you can be a blessing. And so... In this church, my point, what I'm trying to say this morning is I don't want people in our church, in this church, to operate under this heavy sort of unspoken legalism, this cloud, that to measure up to some biblical thing of a certain percentage, they have to do that in order to be a biblical Christian and to be pleasing to God and to be acceptable to God's church. I, I don't think we should be living under that at all. I want to set you free from that. But secondly, I do want everyone in, in God's kingdom to be generous people and to give generously to God's kingdom. And so I, I rather want to land on 2 Corinthians 9, 7, which says, Give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? God loves a cheerful giver. And so you, I, I, I want to encourage you to prayerfully go before the Lord and say, God, I want to take into consideration your blessing on my life, how you've prospered me, and I want to be as generous as I possibly can. That is the, that is the heart that I think pleases God more than anything else. Not about how little can I get away with giving and still be pleasing to you. <laughs> but how generous can I be? How joyful can I be? to help your work prosper and to be a blessing to those that are in need. And so, again, I just want to give you a principle that has governed my life and Helen's life ever since we met each other and we've been married. And we agreed right from the very beginning that we would give our first, the first fruits of our wealth to the Lord. And what I mean by that is that every payday, the first debit that goes off my salary is to the church. First debit. This church, this storehouse, this family, this community, I give here. All right? And that's our absolute first priority. We give here. And this is where we worship. This is where our friends are. This is where people love for us and care for us, where the God, God's word is preached into our lives. This is our family. And the Bible uses the word storehouse to describe that. And we want this storehouse, this storehouse, this local church to get the first fruits of what we earn, what we give. And... Um, 
Malachi put, puts it like this, Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe, again I've tried to set you free from that, but remember this is an Old Testament context, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says God, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out much blessing, so much blessing that there will be not enough room to share it. There's, there's, there's something that God honors as we honor his word, as we honor him, and as we honor his church that he loves. And so I would, I would put it like this. I would, I would want to encourage you, if you're a member of this church, that you too would want to give the first fruits of your life into God's kingdom. Yeah, not the leftovers. When everything else is taken off, I give God my pizza money. Yeah, I'll do without a pizza this week so I can give something on Sunday. I don't think that, that was a bit naughty, wasn't it? But you get my point. That, that's, it's not about that. It's about God, you deserve the best of what I have. And let me give, give that to you. And so in addition to that, there's also charitable giving. And we give to charities as well. Um, we try and support charities that are missional uh, and certainly do recognize that there are amazing charities doing amazing work in many areas of our country. And so we support Michael and Beth Ann. We support uh, Naomi. We support Justin. We're going to be Justin also working for uh, Young Life. Young Life's doing amazing work. Amazing work. And I think I was thinking this week, if, if Naomi didn't work for um, UCCF, and if Justin didn't work for Young Life and they worked for other charities, I, I would want to support them because we love them, regardless of what charity they're working for. We love them. And we want to do that as well. But it's, this is the tension that we always live in as church leaders because I get through my door at least once a week and on email, sometimes twice a week, emails from charities, and what do they want? Money. People. And so the, the, uh, this is really tender for me because we, we, do, we do want to help and, and, and support charities, but it's alongside the church, and the church should never be suffering because charities are taking people and taking finances that should be going into God's primary kingdom, the church. Are you with me? That's such a hard thing for me to, as I lead to know where do we give and how do we give into these other things? And so we are looking as elders right now. We've begun a process of reviewing how we support charities and in which charities we do want to support and how we can better support the charities that we have a relationship with. Yes? So we don't split our income so many ways, rather focus on a few different ones to be a blessing to them in a tangible and a good way. Amen. So this is, this is, you see, it's not so, it's not so simple, is it? It's like you have to think a little bit in, in terms of how this, um, this works. So Helen and I made up this uh, decision at the beginning of marriage to give generously and sacrificially. And that has meant over the years that we've had to make some adjustments to our standard of living. And it does mean that sometimes we don't have luxuries that other people have. And having said that, we have never, ever, 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 I watched a movie Last night where the guy said ever, 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 so many times. But in the same way, we have never, ever, 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 ever lacked for anything. God is kind and good and generous in every way. And he looks after us. And so I want to encourage you. Go for it. Be generous in every way. And God will still take care of you. Now, having said all of what I've just said, I can't put my decision on how Helen and I have decided to live onto you I can't there's no verse there's no law <laughs> there's no compulsion to do that all I can ask you to do is to, to consider this as a as a thought and a principle in your life isn't God deserving of the most and the very best of what you have and not the leftovers that's all I can ask you to consider and think about yes isn't God deserving of the best Absolutely. So let's live towards that. So in the end, having said all of that, in the end, if I was to do the maths and add it up, we do give 10%. And actually, we give more than 10%. <laughs> That's just the way it is. 
And so it's not a law. No one's forcing me. No one's beating me. It's just, God, I want to give you the best, and I'm giving to you primarily. All right, so are you still with me? My, my watch just stopped. Oh, it's only 20. I've got some five more minutes. All right. I want to consider a couple more questions with you this morning. Having said all of this about tithing and generosity and giving, I want to answer this other question. Why is it that money is such a taboo subject with Christians? Why is it? People in church don't like to talk about money. Well, perhaps it's a throwback in our culture to like, um, you know, the 18th century. You know, a gentleman doesn't speak about money. You know, it's so common to speak about money. And then you have the upper classes, we don't, we obviously have got lots, but we don't speak to anyone about us. So only the working class that speaks about money, I'm not going to demean myself. Maybe it's a cultural thing. But when I look at the New Testament, it's also there's such a focus on money. Jesus t- t- uh, teaches a lot about money. Paul talks a lot about money and supporting others and being generous to those in need. And so how is it that we've got to this place where we feel like we can't even talk about our view about money or even challenge each other about money? And say, so, well, what are you doing? How are you living? And there's several ways I could answer this question, but this, uh, let me just want, want, mention one in particular. I think there's a cultural reluctance to talk open about money, but unfortunately, and I kind of mentioned this in my introduction, we do live in a time where there's been an ever-increasing number of sexual and financial scandals in the church and with some charities. And that has certainly affected how people give and why they want to give. We've seen some large charities in the last five years. I checked this online. Oxfam, remember, five years ago in Haiti going in to help people, and the blooming workers were sexually exploiting the people they're supposed to be helping. What is that about? And CEOs of charities earning vast salaries, which just seems disproportionate and completely out of proportion in terms of what the money is being given for, that the CEO is getting 500000 or 750000 a year. It just seems bizarre. How can that be? Or what about, unfortunately, in the church, many ministry leaders or pastors who are making exorbitant amounts in terms of salary. They've so influenced the people that set church budgets that they are blessed. That's what I said last year, last week. It's a controversial word. Blessed. You know, God is blessing me with this, this salary. And it's beyond anything that is reasonable. It's beyond anything that is moral. And so I've read of salaries, unfortunately, again, in America and other parts of the world where prominent pastors and uh, leaders in the, ch- in the church live in homes of seven to 8,000 square feet. They have five cars. They have a holiday home. They have a jet. And their, their salary, is, that's their salary. And then their expense account is bigger than the average salary of any other pastor. Their expense account. That is just absolutely wicked and evil. And I'm sure the heart of God is absolutely grieved that that should ever be happening in the name of Jesus. Come on. Someone say amen because that is absolutely true. And so again, I just want to say we must, however, be careful I absolutely, I absolutely understand that and agree that that should not be so, and it grieves God's heart. But we, we mustn't paint every pastor and every church with the same brush. It's simply not true that every single Christian minister cares only about money. It's absolutely not true. And the idea that pastors are just in it for financial gain has in turn created this funny thing in the church where some pastors are so afraid to speak about money that it's not good for the church. <laughs> it's not good because the church doesn't do well and prosper. And so I think good teaching helps the church to grow strong, helps the church to prosper. And so it can be effective in what God has called it to do. And so as pastors, and this is my commitment to you, I want to get the balance right about being open about money and keeping you free from compulsion in your giving. At the same time, I, in my life, I want to demonstrate a life that is not about pursuing luxury. Come on. Not about pursuing luxury. Well, how big a house can I have? I've got a house, but I know I want a much bigger one. And God will bless, is blessing me. And I want, I want a much bigger house. No, I, I, don't, I don't think. Can I say this to you? And I'm not saying this kindly. I'm saying this. 
What people are drawn to in preachers that make much of luxury is their own hope of personal luxury. They're not drawn by the living Christ. They're not drawn by the grace of God. They are simply drawn by the desire. What he has, I want that too. I've seen it all over Africa. Preachers in Armani suits and driving these massive great Mercedes Benz, three of them. And they get their people to give. And why do the people give? Because in their hearts they hope they can get that too. Not because of the saving grace of Jesus. So, you still like me, anyone? I hope so. Here we go. So, when we took our offering this morning, did you notice that Ed said this offering basket said the front and the back, and you can give online? No, we do that deliberately. Why? There's nothing wrong by sending baskets around, but we choose not to. Why do we choose not to? Well, because I, I, I've had to put myself in, in the visitor's shoes. A number of years ago, and think, well, what do they think if someone, by God's grace, is being drawn to this place, into this meeting, and they're seeking and exploring the Christian faith, and the first thing I do is ask them for money and push the basket around. Yeah? Rather, we don't pass the plates around. Rather, we leave them at the front and the back, and we encourage you to give online generously so that you're not berated or manipulated in any way to give. And I have said, and I want to say again, if you've been a part of a church where you've experienced manipulation in being forced to give or give on your credit card, can you believe that? People in this church have told me that they, they were in churches where the people said, give on your credit card. And by the time they realized they'd made a mistake and wanted to cancel it, the money had already been taken off, not four hours after the meeting. It is absolutely wicked. So we'd rather not send the, opera, uh, the offering baskets around. And you know what? Doing that for years and years now, it hasn't affected the, the, the income of our church. Income has been stable and steady, and in fact, it's gone up over the last three years. Isn't that amazing? Even during COVID. Why? Because people want to give. And they're doing it out of freedom and freedom in their hearts. We've always had our daily bread. And that's God's promise to you, and that's God's promise to me as we simply give as an act of worship. So I've spoken about these things now, and the last thing I wanted to speak about and land on this morning is this. How are we transparent and accountable with the finances here at Forest Town towards you? Well, there are a number of layers of accountability in our church. First of all, we have an amazing bookkeeper called Catherine, who's <laughs> absolutely, absolutely diligent. She was telling me this week that uh, the auditor asked her for a receipt for 60p. 60p. He just wanted to check that we had spent the 60p where we said we had spent. I think that's, that's a little bit of a pain, but it's absolutely right. Absolutely right. And she's brilliant. She helps us in terms of our daily running. She makes sure that we are doing everything according to what, uh, how, how we should be doing stuff in terms of our accounting practice. Secondly, we have checks and balances in place regarding our budget and who can sign off on spending. And big amounts in our church, over 500 pounds, are always required two signatures, two trustees to sign off on. And we have a brilliant, brilliant teams of, el of elders and deacons. Um, sorry? Uh, trustees. I'm talking too fast, thinking too fast. Um, elders and trustees. And I want to thank the guys. They do, uh, they do such an amazing job. On that team, I am paid, and Clive is paid two days a week. Ed is not paid. Ed serves the church and comes in once a, a week out of his own generosity. On the trustees team, Wynn over there, Annika and Ed are all unpaid. And they and oversee our annual budget with us and help us, us focus on what we need to be spending our money on. And we try and meet each month to plan and pray. And so it's the trustees that set every salary in this church of all the paid staff, including mine. I do not set my own salary when and Annika and Ed and the other guys, they set the salaries in the church, including mine as the senior pastor. And so I want to say this up front. If any of you as a member of Forest Town Church needs to know how much I earn, you are free to find out. Please go and speak with Wynn, with Ed, with Annika. They'll tell you. 
doesn't bother me at all. All right. Secondly, thirdly, fourthly, <laughs> whatever it is, you are able to see our annual returns. If you want to go company's house or charity on the Charity Commission website, you can see our annual return, how much we spend each year. You're free to go and have a look at that anytime you want. And we also, fifthly, we present our annual budget to the church and we give regular financial updates. We try and do it every quarter so that all of you can see exactly how we are spending our money. And so the final thing I want to say to you in terms of accountability is this. There is an issue of trust here. All right? There is an issue of trust. And I believe it is God's spirit that raises up leadership teams in local churches. And I hope you believe that too. Uh, if you doubt that, go and read Acts 20, 28 and 1 Peter 5, because both of those scriptures certainly say that. And I want to ask you, if you do trust in the character and the gifting and the calling of the leadership team, then we are simply asking you to extend your trust to the team of trustees so that they can decide on what is fair, equitable, and generous compensation for the pastoral team here at Forest Town Church. Yeah? You've got to trust them. <laughs> Just as we trust in God, you've got to trust them. And in spite of um, uh, all of, I've said about pastors in the, in, in the world, having some pastors having huge and excessive salaries, I don't think in general pastors in the UK are paid too much. <laughs> Can I just say that kindly? In general, I think they're paid far too little. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know where this funny attitude in our society comes from. It's like um, that's, you know, pastors are expected to be struggling financially. I don't know why. Maybe people think, you know, you must, your, your faith must be tested. You know, your trust in God must be tested. You, you have to be the first one to be trusting God. Now, that's absolutely true. But, of course, it's not, neither more or less than any other Christian should be trusting God. All right? So this thing that, that pastors and ministry workers are somehow unique and they should somehow be struggling, I don't buy into that at all. Uh, Paul says very clearly that a laborer is worthy of his hire. And so this idea is just, for, for me, unbiblical. At the same time... Um, I think as churches grow, salaries should be in proportion, but I don't think that a pastor of a mega church suddenly should be earning 25 times the um, average pastor salary. I don't think that's true at all. There should be, according to your performance, how you discharge your ministry and what the church can afford to give. And no one that I know, I don't have any friends in the ministry as pastors that are in it for the money. Um, I don't have any pastor friends in the UK that own five homes or four luxury cars. Or, no, most of them are just trying to own one home. Like you. That's it. <laughs> All right. And so I do believe, uh, in conclusion, that we do need to pay well enough our staff that they can live on, they can provide for their families, they can help prepare for their children's education, try and put a retirement in place, and to try and save so that if there are any any things that come up in the future, they are able to, as husbands and wives, do that for their families. Surely that's what all of us want and all of us need. Yeah? Thank you, sir. <laughs> and so we've asked our, our trustees, and they've done this. We've looked at the demographics of our part of the country, the size of the church, the other factors in this, what it costs to live in St. Albans, all of those things. And our aim is to... Do as best as we can to pay our staff proportionately and generous, as generously as possible out of the income that we do have. And so they've done a great job in doing that. And as God has been faithful over the years to provide for us. Would we like to start pay the staff better? Absolutely. We certainly aim to do that as the income grows and as the church grows. And we're certainly committed to doing that. But we are doing the best as we can with what we have. And so in landing this morning, my appeal is this. Be generous in every, every area of your life. Don't be under law, but be regular, generous givers in proportion to what you have, not out of what you don't have, in proportion to what you do have. Let the prayer of your heart be, God, how can I be more generous? Not how can I be less generous, but how can I be more generous that you get the first fruit in my life, not just the leftovers when everything else is done and paid for. Finally, I can't say everything that I want to this morning, it's just too much. Um, but if you have any questions, please feel free to ask any of the elders, any of the trustees, and we will be happy to answer whatever questions 
you have. And this is part of what we want to do as a church, to be as generous as we can with the blessing that we have received. We want to give it away into the nations of the world. We can want to say yes to the right things so we can be generous to others. We do want to pray for you this morning. Do you want to give that word? No? Okay. And Helen just reminded me about that prophetic word she had. Remember about the rainbow, which included God's provision in every area of our lives as families so that we can be generous. And that's still ongoing. It's not, it's not um, stopped. God still wants to bless us. So I trust that you are feeling encouraged. Yes? I trust that you are feeling free. And I trust that you continue to give generously in every area of your life and live generously with your friendships, with how you host people, how you love others. Be generous. Be warm. I love what Mark Pilevacci says. He doesn't like cool people. You'll be cool when you're dead. Give yourself to being warm and friendly and lovely and generous. As warm as you can, as generous as you can. That's about God's kingdom, isn't it? God bless you. Please stand with me. I'm going to ask you, um, Johnny, can you just lead us in the, that song we started with? If you need prayer, my friends, if you need prayer, if you are really struggling in terms of your job, if you need more provision, if you are struggling with debt, please don't be embarrassed. Please come. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you. And we'll do that at the front here. There are people that can really, really help you. Please do that. Um, let me just pray as we finish. God, we want to thank you for your blessing. We want to thank you for your provision. We thank you for everything that you've done in our lives over many, many, many years. You are faithful, God. And God, this morning, we just want to say thank you. Help us to, be, help us to live in a way that honors you and honors your kingdom. Uh, help us to be those that are generous. Help us not to be bound by things of the past that have been hurtful. And Lord, again, we've just seen so many negative things in and how people have behaved with finances in the church. And Lord, we want to say sorry, but Lord, we pray you'd help us to live well. You'd help us to live how you want us to live, and sow into the right things, and be generous in every area of our lives, so that your kingdom can go forward, that all the people in the world, in the world will know that you are good, and that you are who you say you are, because of your people who live differently from others. And so we simply trust you, and as we worship now, seal these things in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Everyone says, Amen.